from their secret lair on the back lot of an abandoned theme park in the heart of the New York of the South. They spring into action whenever an unwanted opinion is needed. This is Two Dudes on a Backlot. Now, here's your hosts, R.L. Sutton and Harvey. We are Two Dudes on a Backlot. My man, R.L. Sutton. That's me. I'm Harvey. We got something to say, and no one asked. We're going to talk about Buck Rogers in the 25th century. If you're a Gen Xer and you grew up watching that around the same time as Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica, you know what we're talking about. For everybody else, strap on in. We're going to take you on a ride into the 25th century. RL, break it down for me. Buck Rogers was originally based on a short story called Armageddon 2419. It appeared in Amazing Stories magazine back when we had those. It that's where this popularity started, where it was revived for Buck Rogers in the 25th century that we will be speaking about was because of the explosion in the popularity of Star Wars, every film company out there wanted to get their hands on that dirty, dirty Star Wars money. And so in turn, they called on one of their creative geniuses, Mr. Glenn Larson. Now... Harvey, what was one of the unique things you thought about Battlestar Galactica when you first watched it? Not only did it look so much like Star Wars, but the Cylons for that era looked so cool. And the Cylons in their mm -hmm. eyes had like that that laser that kind of went back and forth, that scanner that now it later, you know, I would say a decade later it got used as that the, the light on uh, the night industries 2000 aka kit uh night rider would use that same kind of strobe red light kind of going back and forth and then the sound that it made it you know at that time it sounded so futuristic now you hear like that woom, woom. it sounds like something dated from like the 70s and 80s because you know there's so many other modern sounds now but that to me as a kid was just so cool and they they looked human, but they were robots. And uh, the the way Battlestar Galactica looked, we could definitely do an episode just on Battlestar Galactica itself. But the storytelling was phenomenal. But I would definitely say the way it looked. They did a great job of copying Star Wars, but at the same time, giving it their own style their own personality it wasn't a carbon copy of star wars it was star wars-esque but it had its own flavor and it it was accessible to us in the late 70s and early 80s this is before vcrs this is before streaming this is before any of that we had to wait a full six days before we could see it again and it was a great time it was an awesome time and the unique thing is both those shows were created by Mr. Glenn A. Larson. He created Battlestar Galactica. He created Knight Rider. And Universal went to him and said, hey, we own this product called Buck Rogers. What can you do with this thing to get it out there? Now, a little bit of history where Buck Rogers and uh, Battlestar Galactica have a lot of shared DNA is Battlestar Galactica was, though a TV phenomenon over here, Universal cut it together in a feature-length film and released it in the United Kingdom in Europe, and it did phenomenal. So they said, this works great this way. We'll develop Buck Rogers and release it as a theatrical film. did gangbusters, and it made so much money that they then ordered it to series. This Starfighter that Buck Rogers uses was the original design for the Vipers in Battlestar Galactica. And they went with more traditional what fans of that series love at home. Another cool thing, if you ever get a chance, and I highly recommend it, to watch the theatrical cut of Buck Rogers. It has an opening very similar to a James Bond 1970s opening where Mr. Where Gil Gerard just kind of passed out and on this thing that says Buck Rogers, this giant light screen, and all these women are kind of, you know, rubbing his face and everything. And as a kid, you're like, is this what he's dreaming? He's like, oh, this is going on. Yeah, is this really dream? happening or yeah. In 
Wilma Deering, the beautiful Aaron Gray, is one of the only women in that scene that's actually in the film. And she says, points out that the lights were very, very hot. I recommend looking at the opening of Buck Rogers on YouTube. Now, was so Buck Rogers ever released theatrically here in the U.S., or is that strictly in the U.K.? That was what they did, is because of the Battlestar Galactica did so well in the U.K., they released Buck Rogers as a cinematic film first. And, may, and then it was so phenomenal that they went back and they said, okay, you know, this is working really good, and uh, we want to get, we want to push this to series. So it was kind of a... Hey, if it bombed, we'll go ahead and we'll just let it go. If it works out, we'll do it. The film uh, made $21 million on a budget. I believe it was like a few million. So it, they, they double dipped on that one. I don't have their, how much it made, but it made $21 million in 1979, which is phenomenal for the time frame. How would you say it holds up? How does it hold up compared to Star Wars? Compared to Star Wars... Like Star I Wars, feel... I mean, story-wise, it, it it holds up. But I oh. mean, does when you watch that particular Buck Rogers movie today, is it entertaining? It doesn't seem overly dated. I mean, what do you, what are your thoughts? Compare it if we're comparing it to Star Wars that came a few years earlier. You got a little bit more. Buck Rogers is all about Earth. Buck Rogers is a lot of action. In fact, the that was another reason they went with Buck Rogers is that George Lucas couldn't sue them. Because they're like, look, Buck Rogers has been around in the beginning. Um, Buck Rogers is actually kind of um, pop culture royalty because that comic strip yeah, had produced so many installments of it that a company went to the, the rights holder of Buck Rogers and said, hey, I want to make this into a comic book. So Buck Rogers was your first comic book, and Buck Rogers was the first TV series. In fact, it had a, in the middle of production, they had to do a little hiatus because it was costing so much to make it. So. Yeah, he came before everything else, so it gives him a, it gave him something that, to work with that they couldn't do with Battlestar Galactica. But I feel like did Lucas, did Lucas try to sue, or did, that just never was a an issue? He sued them on, he sued them on Battlestar Galactica because some of his people from Industrial Light and Magic went on and did the special effects. He couldn't this mm -hmm. one. That was kind of. Um, Universal's like, now nah, we got you this time because you can't, you can't come after us because we've got, we've got history, we've got that pedigree sitting there, and this thing's been around since 1928. So, what you gonna send me about, George? Well, let's be honest. I bet just some of Star Wars was based on Buck Rogers. Yes, Buck Rogers, um, bit bit Buck Rogers was the, one of the first serials. Buck Rogers led to the creation of Flash Gordon, which Mr. Lucas has often hinted like. Yeah, I like that Flash Gordon thing, so that's kind of where I was going. But Buck Rogers is, was kind of the, the, to use the phrase, genesis of everything. It inspired a lot of other IPs and led to modern pop culture in the comic book realm. It's kind of fun. But the TV... Buck Rogers, the... Go ahead. Uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to no, no, get us say. back to the TV series. Go ahead. What were you going to say, though? No, the no, no. The TV you, you series... Though it came after all those other things, I always felt like, and looking back, you had that first season. That first season was phenomenal because it really felt like a James Bond, but in space. So that's what I kind of dug about it. Well, Buck Rogers was start. What was uh, portrayed by Gil Gerard, which was a, a leading man type, very rugged, very masculine. And his um, uh, co-star was, like you said, the the gorgeous Erin Gray, who at the time, that was like her first foray into acting. That was like her first big gig. She started out as a model. And when you see her, she's just gorgeous. I mean, she's gorgeous today. To, to, to this day, I still would. But maybe that's just the fanboy in me. She's like definitely up there in age. But back then, she was, you know... Uh, a very attractive woman and for it being her first tv show she was a phenomenal actress she showed a lot of range and um the cool part was that she showed that she could hang with buck rogers because she was like the 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 captain of the air force that current air force that they were using and uh you know she showed that she could hang with them because you know buck rogers was kind of like your 
like you said, James Bond in space. I would say James Bond definitely was a probably like a mold. Like, hey, let's use a little bit of James Bond and see what it would be like if he was in space. And it's like you said, there was always gorgeous women in the show. Tell us about the main villain, Barbara Hensley. Barbara Hensley was uh, Princess Amidala. Her father was the Prince Zardala. Sorry, not Amidala. Wrong, wrong IP. Her, yeah. Wrong movie. Princess Ardala <laughs> and her father was the the Kang was one of her henchmen. They were Draconian Empire. And those characters actually appear in the original the original TV series as well. So the thought was, and it's a great term and I've 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 uh, borrowed I've stole it. For some of the things, she's flying the Draconia, which is a star fortress. It has a very massive design. There's a line like somebody says, look, I, basically I have eyes on it. And she's like, well, if you see it this far out, then you it must be massive. The um, Its firepower is never really fully revealed. Again, this is 1970, so it does make other appearances. She has a guy, a gentleman called Tiger Man, who's kind of her bodyguard. And let's be honest, what a body. And he's going through and watching kind of he he's a silent just kind of standing there looking brooding and he is based on a, a whole race that appears in the original storyline in the theatrical cut you see her father in the television cut you do not see her father and we just know that the they have ruled they're part of a dynasty that's ruled the galaxy for almost one third of the Alex I think the line is it's a very but we just never unfortunately get to explore the fullness of where they were going yeah because we'll later explain what happened from the first season to the second season but with Prince Art Princess Ardala and Captain Wilma I forgot what her last name was um Colonel Wilma Deering that's right she wasn't she wasn't a captain she was a colonel so she was higher ranking not only that, but there was there was also like this love triangle between Princess Ardala, Buck Rogers, and you know, Colonel Wilma Deering. You know, it was always like you felt like the when the three of them were in the same building, Buck kind of knew and he didn't care and he's like, okay, you two fight over me. That was like his attitude and you could feel the tension and it, it was well done and well played by both of those actresses. Even deeper into this the uh, the cast list over the TV series was almost a who's who of the Sunny's television. You have Rodney McDowell, Jack Palace, Jamie Lee Curtis made an appearance in an episode. Wow. Yes. That was definitely before Caesar Halloween. Cesar Romero, right? Frank Gosha, and Marky Post, and one of the heartthrobs of my young 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 preteen years and lockhart who also was a character in the battlestar galactica so they had a lot of people who just almost the whole rogue gallery from the original batman series and they played and yeah no no you're right they played it straight for the most part they were serious there there wasn't the a lot of they're they weren't there doing camp they were doing they're, they're being serious and Think about this. As big as Marky Post came in Night Court and other shows, she was almost a she was like the third uh, background actress for a good portion of her sh- her appearance on the on Buck Rogers. Oh yeah. oh yeah. So as the series, it was based on the movie, and they like it was so successful they pushed it to to television, and they recut it. Oh yes, side note: Gary Coleman made an appearance in one of the episodes of Buck Rogers as well. And he was a huge star during the 70s and 80s. Oh, I remember that. They yeah. pushed it to television, and that's where our story continues. What do you What do you know about once they hit TV? What was it that your research showed on this? I know once it hit TV, we had the first season, which really sets the story, and it's well told. Well told, and it kind of talks about you know Buck being frozen in in space and he his ship is found by the space fortress that princess armadala you know commands and they basically thaw him out and at first they thought he was some sort of spy for the earthlings and once they figure out no this guy is literally like 
from the 20th century. We don't know how he survived, but we're kind of just going to send him on his way and maybe we could kind of use him as a spy, you know, as a Trojan horse against his will. Um, he gets sent back to Earth and then in Earth they almost shoot him out of the sky because once again they think he's sent from Princess Armadala. He's just trying to get back to Earth. Once on Earth, he encounters, you know, the military, you know, Colonel Wilma and so on. And from there, they figure out his backstory and he gets assigned almost like a like a guide. Explain what what was the name of the guide and, and what exactly was it? It was it an am, called an Amber Quad. His name was Twinkie. Initially, he will he will just kind of say what he's got to say and then sort of go on. And they kind of hint a couple times that what has happened is Buck is kind of teaching him modern jargon. And mind you, for the time that Buck Rogers was made, it it's during the seventies. But his he leaves Earth in nineteen eighty seven. So this is kind of where the creative team thought that everything was sort of going. There's a few unique changes that they make that he gets kind of lost in space. So there's like an explosion. They never go into it. They use the original footage. Great footage. And he's sort of not used to all these gadgets that he's coming across. And at first he thinks Twinkie's just like, what are you? Yeah, because Twinkie's only three feet tall and just goes beady, beady, beady. But then Twinkie around his neck, he had the actual... What was that? I forgot the name of that particular character. He was like a, the, I believe it's Theopolis. Yeah, he was, and like, it was like a like a part of the computer council. Yes, which they they were kind of like wise men almost, like, very similar to the Jedi. The, council. The, the thought was that essentially what happened, and there was some major plot changes. Like it, in the movie, it's just that it was actually supposed to be the only surviving city on Earth, and they change it up on the TV series and it becomes New Chicago. That there was a computer council, humans had been destroying our planet and blowing things up so much that it was decided that, look, we're going to basically let these robots run everything for us. Interesting that we're talking about this now. Yeah, and then later, you know, a whole, you know, 15 years later, we get Terminator, which is kind of anti that. Yeah, and so they're letting the robot. So they're letting the robots kind of make all the decisions because the humans sort of like said, you know what, we're not good at better this. You guys there's also, this up. There's also supposed to be radiated zones outside of the cities, and that's something that was dropped once they went to series because they're like, look, this thing is super dark. The next segue, Mr. Gil Gerard. What do you know about Mr. Gil Gerard? I know at the time he wasn't a big fan of the amount or the equal billing that Aaron Gray had. He felt that he should have been more prominently um, displayed, I guess, you know, he, he, there should have been more Buck Rogers, even though he's the main character and it's named after him. He, the word was, he was like a little resentful, you know, cause she was, you know, way before her time, she was almost portrayed as his equal. And I guess that kind of bothered him, you know, typical Hollywood ego, a little bit of male chauvinism, chauvinism there. Um, so he, when you watch his acting, it was good, but a lot of the behind-the-scenes scuttlebutt was that he wasn't too enthused with the show. He was kind of kind of like what Harrison Ford felt about with um, Han Solo. He kind of just wanted it to end. You know, is that what you heard? It goes even further than that. He actually... Oh, break it down, break it down. There's a magazine that was... I actually got a copy, a copy of it. It's practically... It's considered ancient now. But there's a magazine called Starlog that was very popular during the 70s and it, during the 80s until I don't know when the magazine went out of print or if it actually went. I just know that there, it's not nearly as prominent. But he said in Star, an interview in Starlog that the series was not as serious as he wanted it to be. He was the one thing that people enjoyed was his little bit little bits of humor that he brought to the future, and he did, he hated that. And in turn, he was hoping the series would get canceled. He wanted his own series to get canceled, though the and three of the writers basically quit the show because he would go back and he'd like, no, I want more episodes about me. I'm not saying these stupid jokes. Me, 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 me. As a, an actor, to me, 
what I see in the acting world, and this holds true in most creative works, you get known for this one thing, and your fans only really want you to really look at you to do that one thing, unless you're a few actor, major actors. But I, I don't understand his motivations if he was afraid that he was going to be typecast and only be able to play Buck Rogers, or if he just felt like he was better than all this and let me move on to my next gig. The vibe that I get was it almost felt like he thought he was better than this because he got paired up with a rookie in Aaron Gray. And at the time, Glenn Larson, outside of Battlestar Galactica, what had he had done? Had he had done a bunch of other TV shows? Um, he has an impressive re resume. I would have to go look. I'm pretty sure he had produced some other major things. He 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 was a a presence in Hollywood because mind you the universe went to him and said hey we need you to do this and yeah so yeah it, it's about so it's like well so you got a solid producer behind it a great mind um you you saw what he did with Battlestar Galactica so i would say it had to be good old fashioned ego and we're talking about Hollywood in the late 70s so yeah i wouldn't put it past him that it was just ego and I don't know what he did before, but we all know that, sadly, that's what he's... Ironically, to this day, he's most known for being Buck Rogers. And he himself will go on some of these conventions. In, uh, and and he, he, I know he recently did a, a short film with Aaron Gray playing the parts of, like, Buck Rogers' parents, you know, because they're so much older now. And the irony is, is like, hey, you got for what? Hey, dummy, you, you you got what you wished for. You wanted the show to, to get canceled, you got it canceled, and you, he hasn't really done anything since. And just to put how the weight behind Glenn, Mr. Glenn A. Larson, he's been passed for quite some time now. The and going back to the Bowser Galactica show, the sh one that pre preceded this. The set, just the set for the bridge of the Battlestar Galactica had actual aircraft equipment for the time in it, on it, built into it. That set alone of the Galactica was a million dollar set in 1970s money. So, so this is somebody that the, that the studio had a lot That's of less. faith in. And in fact, the only reason Galactica was canceled was because it just cost so bloody much to make the show. And they weren't seeing the return as quickly as Hollywood likes to see returns. Yeah, I mean, if they, well, they later redid it, and I wouldn't even say the '90s. That was already in the 2000s, right? The the modern interpretation of Battlestar Galactica. The modern interpretation was in the 2000s. It wasn't. It 2000s, was. So. Uh, he was a consultant on it, but in the '70s, we're talking about a lot of money, and this was, this this was, all based on the super hype of the first Star Wars film. Well, and it shows the the ip of battlestar galactica how good it was that that was actually rebooted successfully before all of the nonsense that we do now and it held up and it created a whole new set of modern fans now mr gil gerard got some of the stipulations that he wanted because there was a huge shift in tone and storytelling from season one to season two Break it down. So before we get into season two, it's worth noting, and it was humorous at the time of this recording, that there was a writer's strike. That held, it lasted for three weeks, and, or I believe, and in turn, you had a different creative team come in. And the creative team came in, and for why they thought this was a good idea, still don't know to this day, but you know, hey, essentially... Aaron Gray, Colonel Wilma Deering became dressed. They had her dressed in what looked like a stewardess outfit, and she was sort of like the communication officer on the bridge. And the searcher was a sh ship introduced in that they were looking for the lost tribes of human, an idea that came from Battlestar Galactica, apparently. Well, yeah, and the way that, and the whole thing with the ship was also borrowed from Battlestar Galactica with the searcher. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was one of the shooting ships for the um, the Bowser Electric series. I ha I don't that I don't know, but I know that they that it was it basically became a bad and I say that version of Star Trek because they're going through space and they're looking for this person and they're looking for that and you you had a lot of unique yeah. things, um, a lot of 
attempt at something. It was supposed to be more serious, which is hilarious because I, of the two seasons, I watched the first season for the first season more than I will watch episodes of the second season beyond the time of the Hawk, which was a new character introduced into the series. And it was a, that, that actually was kind of a unique concept from a writing standpoint that there's this, they're basically bird people and the actor did a great job in, well, break, further break down the character of Hawk. Describe Hawk for people that haven't seen him. For late seventies, you know, a makeup technology. It was very, it was very, it was very futuristic. It was well done. So, in, so Hawk's character is just—he's just called Hawk, which doesn't make a lot of sense because his people are birds. Supposedly, they're descendants from the statues on Easter Island. And that they left Earth because humans were killing them. The mythology is that they stopped learning to they at one point could fly themselves, but no longer did. He doesn't have hair. He has feathers. And him and his mate are on this planet. And Buck shows up there and the some other humans are there. And they've tracked them down to this little mountain and kills his mate. And beautiful actress, her name escapes me at the moment. She actually was in the mere episode of the star trek which is funny again hawk has no hair but he has feathers on his head he has his really strong pronounced features he wears a black leather suit his spaceship has looks looks like a big silver hawk flying in space and when he attacks yeah it's like a silver yeah. bird and the wings kind of come in when he goes into attack and the claws drop up out of it but he's walking around with, he's kind of really still pissed that he can't fly anymore. And he stabs it and Buck does this maneuver and ends up spearing his mate. They land the ship, yada, yada, yada. His, so last time they, it's a two-part of the last time they use that set. And for some reason, by the time you get to the end of the show, Hawk's mate's dead and he's going with Buck Rogers to find other people. And Buck's able to save the day and talk him down from being genocidal because initially hawk was going to go kill all the evil humans who led to the death of his wife the actor was great the costuming is great the concept was good they just didn't but you got it let's talk about the, the the elephant in the room a lot of people feel that that's when the series on top of aaron gray being relegated from being a military officer and dressing as such to being like a space waitress in skirts and low-cut blouses and looking like a, like a waitress in a real cheesy seafood restaurant with little tassels and, you know, cutesy hair pieces and whatnot. A lot of people feel that that's when the show really went down the drain. What are your thoughts on the hot character and what it added, the, the story that it added? Like, his, his, his arc was great. The whole arc with fighting and the mate and all that was great but what, what, what did you feel that he added something to the show where it was just more of nothing it's like yeah he looks cool but once he kind of became good so to speak it, he didn't really add anything what are your thoughts the two th the two things i always felt about that the episode is called the time of the hawk it's a two-parter that the series does unwind they built these really intricate model you never see his fighter ship again and the series just kind of get lost where the first season the adventures kind of came to them and you had them going through stargates and you had this it never paid off i feel like i remember there was this point that they had us the, the the goat people with horns and from mythology i feel like buck fought one of those and that they never the, the show just unwound and kind of let let itself to a crash did i feel like they needed such a hard reboot between season one and two no i don't feel like the series needed to reboot i feel like it just needed to keep going the way it was going whereas sort of ventures came to buck and buck went out there and got adventures even some of his clever one-liners from the first season is what i enjoyed about it and you just so much of the original dna of the the movie went out the window gil Jarr's career kind of paid for because we never saw him after anything anything after buck rogers yeah that's the irony it's like he kind of self-sabotaged because if the show would have went in the direction of the first season maybe we would have got a third season i understand part of it of the cancellation was it got expensive 
but you have to it's like two tv shows from season one to season two it's like two tv shows with just like the same characters it's it's very strange and odd another thing the universal was okay with we'll say Gildra's shenanigans but when season two came back the audience did not come back i think the audience saw that first episode probably got to the third one's like and i'm out so they they were resistant to f- they made a lot of these changes for Gilderard to meet what he was wanting, but the first season did well, the second season did not, and the studio's like, you know what, we're done with this and goodbye, and that's what happened. So he self sabotaged his career. Could Buck Rogers if they never changed it that much? Like I remember as a kid waiting, going, okay, so where's a uh, Earth director? Where's a uh, I like this, I call the robot Longneck. I like that robot. Great, and I think his name was. But um, are we going back to Earth at some point? You you had a massive change. I even liked Hawk, but I didn't like where the show was going after that. I didn't like what they did with Hawk. Like I said, I felt the introduction was real strong, and then they just didn't do anything with them. And then what about Princess Armadala? Did, we, w- did she ever appear in the second season? Because that was like a very... Yeah, she was gorgeous, and she was dressed up like princess leah in her slave outfit but all the time but number one her voice barbara hensley's voice is just deep and just so sensual and she knew it so she played it up and it was great and the character had since we didn't know much about her and her dad and what her motivation was you wanted to see where she was going to go was she the type to Maybe one day kill her dad and take over, or was she just patiently waiting for her dad to die so she could take over? So there were a lot of questions that were left unanswered. Did she ever appear in the second season? Did they do anything with that character? And a side note: that costume came before Carrie Fisher in uh, the gold bikini in Return of the Jedi. So this preceded that. Oh yeah, I would say they based. Yeah, it preceded that. I would say the 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 Leia slave outfits based on those, you know, Princess yes. Armadala costumes. The um, she, it's funny that I remember this. Her final appearance was in an episode called The Space Witch, and to show how ahead of times Buck Rogers was, they went into an alternate dimension and found this planet that was ruled by the Space Witch, essentially what they called it, and Draconia had to help Earth Defense Force fight it but that's the last time you see her and it's a uh, like two episodes before the the end of season one buck rogers never received a finale in fact one of the scripts was made into a novel don't know how good that novel is i haven't purchased it yet but yeah there was a it went out unceremoniously and they never explored that was a, a great question what was the draconian like how did this empire this they call it a star empire that ruled three quarters of the galaxy come about who was the, you see the emperor based on the parodies of asian chinese people of that time in the show he had holographic technology too which was basically the actor was on the set with the two with the them then just kind of vanishes but there was so much that could have been explored it's everything about the show is 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 just sad because like i said i would have liked to see him explore more of the prince all right let's let's what would you have done for the second season let's let's play devil what would what would uh the I writer would, rl sutton would have done how would you have continued from the first season? i would have probably dived a little bit more into the draconians that's that would have been fun i i've honestly never actually thought about it um you could play somebody from earth's hit like maybe there was a ranger i think he was on ranger three Ranger Four shows up from his time, and he's you know he's got the sidekick. Maybe he's helping in. Gary Coleman's character was supposed to be from '82, from the 1980s, and he he cryogenically froze himself and was the leader of a planet. I would just you just keep exploring it, and I would and I this is where I kind of do agree with Gil Gerard in the sense of I think I would have dived into the. How is he feeling knowing that he's 500 years from his time and what, you know, survivor's guilt, I think you could have explored. And that's kind of a heavy feature, but they even had a space vampire. One of my favorite episodes is the space vampires. They show it. It's one and done and gone. It's like, well, there's more aliens out there and very unique character. 
I think you could have just explored it. Let us see this bigger world because Earth is a very tiny thing in this series. And I think you could have gone all over the place. You have, um, you had the some really clever ideas. I think you just keep going with it. They even had a godlike character who kind of healed people. And you know, is there a planet of the robots? Science fiction. This is ripe for science fiction. Maybe. And this is even a, another thought. Maybe he tries to go back at one point. Ooh, that would have been, yeah, that would that'd be interesting. Yeah, there were so much things they could. They would have had to at least done something where, me, one of my favorite episodes is is the episode where he kind of travels outside of the, you know, place where he was allowed because, like you said, you know, Chicago by then was like post-apocalyptic, very. Um, Mad Max and just run down and you know no man's land and uh, he kind of goes out there and almost gets attacked by I guess you could say his descendants you know because they were just very wild and untamed they were very barbarian-esque and she shows up like a badass with you know a, a space tank and, and saves him they needed to have more not so much her saving him but more situations where you saw that where you saw some of that cool technology and military might and you know explore they called the mutants and it was sort of a thing that they kind of dropped from the feature film version of the movie to the tv series to lighten the tone but you could have definitely there's enough of it in the even the tv series that you could have went back and said what is this about and why is this here so those are a little bit heavier episodes. Usually it was an adventure of the week, kind of lighthearted, campy sometimes show. But I think there's a lot there. I actually believe that there is enough, if you did it right, and you took what they did in the original series, you could remake Buck Rogers and have a, and there's enough time. Because mind you, there was like 50 years almost between the original TV series Buck Rogers and Mr. Glenn A. Larson's Buck Rogers. So you could you could do that, and today, potentially, and have a really good show. Have done right, but not you know with putting in the message, and we're just gonna race swap character, you know, all the negative nonsense that we're dealing with today. So yes, if done right, you're you're absolutely right. But um, I, I'm not so cynical, so I, I have no faith in current Hollywood. So just a space james bond is what i and that's even what they kind of set up like he was supposed to go around he wasn't everybody during their time was kind of low jacked he was unknown nobody knew his face nobody knew who he was and you just seen him going around they had the beautiful ann lockhart make an appearance of his girlfriend from the 1980s and she was a this woman that was genetically injured i think you could revisit that concept again though she dies so sad in the episode but this idea that somebody like hey somebody from his past or somebody he knows is going around there's a lot of you can play with that idea because if you lived five woke up 500 years in your future how would you feel beyond being surprised that oh my god we survived i think that today being that people like more darker entertainment you could kind of explore that more and even have him in an episode going into a real dark place mentally, you know. So um, at that time, I think there would have been a way of having darker episodes for that era and then having a lighthearted episode because you had a TV show like Kung Fu that explored very similar situations like that where they would have kind of a dark episode, but then there would be lighthearted moments in the same episode or the following episode would be lighthearted. So if it was written, which roughly was around that same time period, Kung Fu, the TV series, which was uh, originally the concept was uh, written and produced by Bruce Lee, they would have been able to explore that. I think if we were to do a modern version, you know, an R.L. Harvey production of Buck Rogers in the 25th century, I would explore some of that, you know, because that would have to be a mind F. Because when you start thinking about just everybody you know is been dead for centuries for literally five centuries you know at some point it would have had to affect him and you and you 
you would have to explore that. And within that, that's where you could explore more of that relationship with Wilma. You know, especially since they were kind of pushing it towards a romantic situation anyway. Or you explore that, you know, darkness in Buck's head and the person that kind of seduces him, Princess Armadala. You know, it, 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 you could go in so many directions. It, 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 it'd be fun. It would definitely be fun. So I got a little bit of information here for those who are interested. Glenn A. Larson, and I was going, I'm going somewhere with this. Glenn A. Larson did Battlestar Galactica, as we've been discussing. He did Knight Rider. He did The Fall Guy. A lot of people are big fans of that awesome series. Awesome show. Marky Post was in that show. Manimal, BJ and the Bear, Auto Man, um, Quincy. A lot of people like that show. Cover Up. Magnum P.I., which has been rebooted successfully as of recent, and several others. But there's one theme that I'm going with, and that's something we don't see a lot of today. Remember I said that they gave him a million dollars just to build one set? They uh -huh. trusted the creative behind the series. The bean counters allowed him to be creative. They allowed, like they, back in the 70s, in that one scene in Bowser Galactica where they're in Egypt, they actually flew people out to Egypt and built a set, but they flew people to Egypt to walk around the pyramids, um, second crew with stand-ins to shoot those scenes. So those scenes are not superimposed or made up. They, tr they, tr they trusted the creative genius of Mr. Glenn A. Larson to do what he did, and it paid off in spades until the actor became a little too big for his britches. So that's just something to something I wanted to point out that they trusted this guy to do what he does and they made money why he did it. Well, like you said, they allowed a creative to be what? What a concept. Creative. Sad thing is, th nowadays, since the money guys are the ones that control everything, they treat it, they don't treat it like what it needs to be, art. They treat it like it's a business and we got to get return on investment. So they go in from day one counting every little bean i would say the last time we saw art allowing to be art was with game of thrones but even the good old-fashioned you know green is what ruined it at the end because you had you know these two you know uh, uh, uh ass clowns the showrunners for for they were such in a hurry to finish the series and go do their trilogy of Star Wars movies, which never happened because guess what? They ruined the end of, you know, Game of Thrones. You know, that desire to cash that check and go on to bigger and better things, they rushed the ending of Game of Thrones. And and let's be honest, they kind of like abandoned it because, you know, the last three seasons, there was like these huge gaps in between the seasons. Gildred saw what happened with the Star Trek cast. He saw what happened to like Gilligan's Island and all these other creatives over the years and how they get typecast. And that's something that we have even today in other genres or other forms of media. Even if you're a writer, you're kind of known for doing that one thing and that's all the that people expect out of you or sometimes give you a, a chance. Do you feel like that was his driving thing is he felt he was going to be Buck Rogers for the rest of his life, which pretty much self-fulfilling prophecy as an actor. How do you feel? How do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's a, like when you have that hit, do you hold on to it with both hands until you get every dollar out? Like Michael Doran did with the star Trek films, or do you kind of like try to get as much going on as possible so that you, people don't just see you as in this case, Buck Rogers. It's a different era now. So and it's even a different era now compared to like Michael Dorn, who's Worf from Star Trek: The Next Generation. Now you have the ability of doing more things, and even probably, let's say your fame may not be what it used to be. Let's say you really blew up on this one TV show or movie or movie series. You still have the ability of doing, you know, uh, independent movies and shorts and subsiding and living off of that. Gil Gerard, I to me, from what I've been told in this research I've done, to me it sounded like it was more of an ego thing. I don't think maybe there was a little bit of a fear to be like um, Adam West, who was the original Batman for the hokey Batman TV show from the 60s. 
But I just feel that it was more of an ego because the the, the TV show was forward thinking. And like I, I mentioned earlier, Wilma wasn't, you know, his partner. He Wilma was an equal and she outranked him because he was like a captain or, or a lieutenant, I think. And she was a colonel. So he was a captain. I, I yeah, he was a captain. So she outranked him, even if it was by one rank. He kind of came in with the ego like, I want to do this and I want it to be more serious. And it's like, but bro, it's sci fi. And he he was able to say the jokey jokey stuff and it actually came off as charming and very James Bondish because that's kind of like what it was supposed to be anyway was James Bond in space so not only did he give himself a self you know fulfilling prophecy of now you're just kind of known as Buck Rogers as an actor if you blow up for one thing then yeah you gotta you gotta milk it till the wheels fall off because I don't know why it it, it is it's not so much typecasting or maybe people want to keep seeing you playing this particular type of character. It's just the Hollywood types. They just don't want anything to do with you anymore because you've, you've heard of situations where, you know, for example, Oh, we're doing a movie and uh, we want to RL Sutton type. And you show up and you're like, Hey, I'm RL Sutton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we want an R.L. Sutton type. So they'll take what you've done and base it on you, but they but they don't want you. They want somebody else to kind of play you. Why is that a thing in Hollywood? I don't know. There's a lot of mental illness and drugs and Satanism and Luciferism in Hollywood. But that's a different episode. <laughs> yes, it but is. But more than anything, there's a lot of there's a lot of egos and I don't understand that mentality of we have R.L. Sutton, but we just want an R.L. Sutton type. We don't want to use R.L. Sutton in, the, in our particular project. In the literary world and in scripts in general, my understanding is it's the same kind of thing. If you have a, you do one thing that's hot, the publishing will only, the publisher will only put out that one. Like, if you're a horror writer, that's all they're going to accept from you, even if you had a banger. George Lucas, or not George Lucas, Stephen King is an anomaly in that in that form of media where they allow him to do other things. But for the most part, whatever it is, if you're a sci-fi writer and boom, you had your blow-up thing with that sci-fi thing, that's all they're going to let you have. They're only going to want to see your scripts of sci-fi. Even Mr. Martin, if he wanted to suddenly do a science fiction, he wanted to do his version of Armageddon 2419 his agent and be like, um, you can do it. We can put it out under a different name. And he goes, no, I want to put it out as my name. And he's like, no, we can't do that. It's, it's a, but that, like you said, that, that is an option that writers can do that actors cannot because your face is your face True. and writers can go under a pen name. But if that particular second thing, like George RR Martin is known for fantasy and he puts out, I don't know, a great action novel. Um, Something like uh, The Expendables, for example. Something like Stallone would turn into a movie. Then he has negotiated. He's like, well, guess what, mother effers? This, mo- this novel's number one, you know, three weeks in a row on the New York sellers, New York Times, you know, sellers list. Uh, the next one, I'm going to put it out under George R.R. R. Martin. Then you have, you know, some negotiating power versus an actor. Your face is your face. And if you start young and you age... And you grow into, you know, from the the heartthrob to the older uncle to the dad to now the wise uncle, the wise grandfather. And, you know, you're that lucky, like uh, George Clooney, for example, is kind of slowly aged into uh, his characters. Great, but, you know, your face is your face. So if you're kind of known for one particular thing or you have actors now like Al Pacino and De Niro. They're phenomenal. But when was the last time you saw them do like a very serious role? I would say it was Heat, the movie Heat. You know, everything they've done since then is just like caricatures of themselves. They're just playing different versions of themselves. And they're not really doing a lot of serious drama. They've done a lot of comedy. 
a lot of bad ones. There's some good ones, but a lot of bad ones as well. I mean, Al Pacino was the was actually the love interest in in an Adam Sandler movie. You know, where he was pursuing Adam Sandler, quote unquote, as a female. The Adam Sandler was playing a double character, but yeah, Al Pacino was crazy over Adam Sandler's quote unquote twin twin sister in the movie, and it's just him in very horrible makeup. You know. <laughs> It's so funny you say that because Adam Sandler did a film, I don't know what it is, what it's called off the top of my head, where he plays a, a very serious, not humorous role. But when I think of movies, I don't think of him playing a serious role. I think of him playing Happy Gilmore, Little Nicky. I... That's true, but with his deal on Netflix, that's where he could give you, like, you know, those serious movies, but then he does the like you said the the comedic stuff that we we know him for you know he, he has an option now that people before him it's know, actually called a uh, residency and some studios used to do it like you would go into warner brothers and they would like your stuff so they'd lock you down and be like we get first look at whatever you do so his netflix deal is unusual for a streaming company but again when was the last time he had a major hit that that we heard a lot of raving about off of Netflix. Um, but the one, the one that he did where he's a jeweler, that he got nice. nominated okay. for an Oscar for that one. I forgot what it's called. It was like within, it was within the last two years. He got nominated for an Oscar, and that's a serious role. And there's another one where he plays like a, I don't know if it's a basketball coach or a sports agent. That's like a serious role, um, as well. I don't think he got nominated for anything, but. He got, you know, but the the, the jeweler one, he, he got nominated. So he's he's not Robin Williams, but he kind of gets a little bit of that respect. We are two dudes on a back lot. My man, R.L. Sutton. That's me. I'm Harvey. This is Two Dudes on a Back Lot. Make sure to subscribe, to follow, tell all your friends, tell them about all the cool, crazy stuff that we talk about. It's not all about aliens and conspiracies. We also talk about comic books, pro wrestling, anything pop culture, two dudes in a back lot. We're the show for you. Now, as our intrepid duo return to their lives as pizza delivery man and dollar theater usher, we must remember the lessons we learned today. Join us again. Same back lot time, same back lot channel.